must have been such a beautiful service so far. I feel loved today. Do you feel loved today? You are loved, and the Lord loves you. God sent his son Jesus to die for you. I kind of like you too. And uh, so if nobody said, I love you today yet, I love you. And I uh, appreciate your love for us. Lois and I were driving away from the dentist the other day. Probably this is kind of personal, but one of the benefits we have at, as a, ch a church, we actually have dental coverage. Not everybody has dental coverage. We have dental coverage. I got my teeth fixed the other day, and I was driving away from the dentist thinking, thank you for those people and the love they've shown to me and my wife. Uh, I love you, we, we, but um, we love each other here, and we're devoted to loving each other here. And sometimes we irritate each other, and sometimes, you know, that happens too. But we love each other. And this is a place where you can find people to love, and you find people to love you. Welcome. Welcome again. Thanks for the beautiful music today. Thanks for leading us in worship today. How sweet is that? Our souls need that. Welcome if you're watching online. I know some of you who love our church and are devoted to our church and serve our church and contribute to our church of Bethel are being prudent and careful and you're at your home and you're carefully watching. The notes are online for the message this morning because we're in one of the most interesting and actually kind of complex parts of the Bible. Uh, and so it might help for you to follow the notes or at least maybe go back and review the notes. I heard an interesting story years ago in the deep south in a small town. There was a family, the, grand, the great grandparents, uh, they were settling, they passed away and they were settling their estate. And so they, they were going through the house and they were getting rid of things. They were selling things. There's going to be a big estate sale and they made their way up into the attic and there were all kinds of things in the attic. This, a lot of it was just things that needed to be discarded. Over in the corner of the attic was a a, a grocery sack, an old grocery sack full of scraps that looked like they were tobacco wrappers. Uh, and somebody got a hold of that and thought, you know, why did they keep this? They decided they would throw it away. But before they threw it away, they thought, we better look through it and make sure there's not something valuable here. And what they discovered was that, they had, that the sack contained very old, limited edition baseball cards of Ty Cobb when he played for the Detroit Tigers, and they were over 100 years old, and they were worth $12 million. Now, you know how pastors think a tithe on $12 million, if my math is right, is $1.2 million. If those people were Christian members of the Bethel Church, we could do a serious building renovation with $1.2 million. Man, we could put a fridge in the pastor's study for that. Kept <laughs> quite a. Now we've been talking about a fridge in the pastor's study, dental care. I've already got myself in a lot of trouble this morning. But uh, Revelation chapter 13 is a treasure of truth from the Bible, and you wouldn't want to overlook it. You wouldn't want to discard it. You wouldn't want to throw it away. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs is, is written to everybody, but it's aimed at a young man. Listen to this. My son, the first, I think this is the first nine, you check, check me out on this. Leo, you're an expert on this. You studied, welcome to church, Pastor Leo, back. Um, and uh, sorry to, well, I'm not sorry to point you out. He's kind of an expert on Proverbs. He studied deeply in Proverbs. 
And so you can check me out. Maybe this is right. Is it the first six or the first nine Proverbs? Check it out. Do they, do they all start with, listen, my son? They almost all start with, listen. This one does. My son, if you receive my words, if you treasure my commands, if you make your ear attentive, this is Proverbs 2, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like, like Ty Cobb baseball cards in the attic, like, like a hidden treasure, you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. And it's, what's implied is this is a great treasure is hidden in the scriptures. Now, Everybody you know, including you, you have a specialized knowledge about something. Ed has specialized knowledge about shipping. Did you know that about Ed? He, he knows more about shipping than probably anybody in the room. You have specialized knowledge about what you do. You're a bow hunter. You're good at it. You spend lots of money on that equipment. Uh, I mean, after all, you want to bring in meat for the family, right? Uh, you're, you have specialized knowledge about that. You, uh, if you're in real estate, you know the ins and the outs of pricing a home and selling a home. And it's just, you have, everybody has specialized knowledge about something, your teacher and so forth. Here's what I want to suggest to you. Christians should develop their specialized knowledge about the content of the Bible. I mean, after all, it's the Word of God. God has given us His Word, so Christians should try to understand it. And if they don't fully understand it, they should at least know what, what is it that I know and what is it that I need to know? What is it that's plain and what is it that's like maybe not so plain? A, a favorite pastor of mine, his name's Alistair Begg, he's got that Scottish accent. He says the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. He says that. That's true. The main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things. When we study Revelation chapter 13, some of it isn't very plain. Some of it is a little, it's, it's laden in symbolism, and so it makes it a little difficult. But some things about it are so plain, so clear. This is true of the whole book. The main things are the things that are plain. The plain things are the main things. In Revelation chapter 13, we're going to read their treasures, and the main things are the plain things. And I, I want to point out what some of those are. But we also want to develop, we want to dig, and we want to understand, and we want to develop our specialized knowledge about a lot of things in life, but especially about the Word that God has given us. So a Christian should work to be kind of expert about what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says. And you have, that, you have that interesting promise that we keep reminding you about in Revelation 1 and 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Or these things could happen any time. See the idea. There's a blessing for those who read and who act on what they read. Now, we want to be that kind of people. And so this chapter, in chapter 13 of Revelation, as we're, you probably know that we're preaching through, we're worshiping our way through the entire book of Revelation. And we're at chapter 13 now, and, and this chapter has multiple symbols that they have to be decoded. And what's interesting is that we want to remember this. The Bible is a self-interpreting book. 
You want to look right within the context of the passage when you don't understand something to see if it's explained or, or if it's decoded. If a symbol, for instance, is decoded right there in the near context. But like, for instance, today you're going to see some, a, a cluster of symbols that are right together. They're not immediately decoded, but if you go to chapter 17, there's some hint of the decoding of chapter 13 in chapter 17. And right at the beginning of chapter 13, there's a cluster of things that at first seem kind of confusing. It's like a beast that's like a lot of different beasts kind of together. It seems confusing. But to the first century reader, to the original reader, they would immediately, those who had an understanding of the Old Testament, would immediately recognize he's referring to the book of Daniel. It's very clear. It would be very clear to them and to us that we may have lost our grip on that. It wouldn't necessarily be clear to us. But what I'm saying is this. The Bible is a self-interpreting book to some degree. And so when you read the Bible and you study the Bible and you understand the Bible and you grow in specialized knowledge of the Bible and you don't miss church and you get involved in small group in between and you have your favorite pastors on the internet that you watch and you read books about the Bible, more and more your knowledge of the Bible grows, your knowledge of what's going on in the world grows, you will be the stronger for it. And so the chapter, this chapter has multiple symbols that need to be decoded, including a creature with seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns and a beast that has features like a leopard and a bear and a lion who's wounded and he lives again and an evil personage whose number is 666 who looks like the answer to all the world's problems at first, but then he turns ugly and demands loyalty or death on all the earth. And so there's a lot to decipher here. But the main thing is very clear from a flyover or from 20,000 feet. You have two evil personages in Revelation chapter 13. You have two evil personages. They're, they're, peop, they're, they're individuals, but they also represent you know, systems. And, and, and they are inspired and they are empowered by, by Satan to oppress the earth in the end time, especially God's people. And they will rise to power in the last half of a seven-year period of time before the return of Jesus Christ in power and, and great glory. So here's the big idea. It's kind of long, but track with me. We can expect that the evil factors and evil forces that exist in the world are going to last all the way to the very end, and their evil will intensify then. So our spiritual insight and our spiritual stamina and preparation should intensify. I want to read that again because it was kind of a mouthful. It's kind of a big idea here, and it's the world's largest big idea. I admit that. But, but track with me. We can expect that evil factors and evil forces that exist in the world are going to last all the way to the very end. Their evil is going to intensify then, so our spiritual insight and our spiritual stamina and our preparation need to intensify. This is what you're going to see. When we, kind of un, when we kind of decode and we understand what's happening in Revelation 13 with these two evil personages, we're going to understand that evil is real. It's going to get even worse to the end, and we need to be prepared for it. So let's look at uh, Revelation 13 and watch for these two different characters in what they do. Revelation 13 and verse 1, and it's reading from God's Word. And I saw a beast... And by the way, the, the thought probably goes back to Revelation chapter 12 and, and verse 17. And he stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea 
with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's. His mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Who's the dragon? Satan. That, we knew that from last week. He's clearly decoded in last week. So Satan has empowered this being. Verse 3. One of his heads seems to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. There's that three-and-a-half-year period of time that keeps popping back up. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. There you have the first beast, if you will. Let's look at the second one. Then I saw another beast, another of the same kind is the idea. Another beast rising out of the earth that had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived, and is allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, notice verse, verse, the end of verse 10, it said, here is a call for endurance. Look at verse 18. This call, this is a call for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. It is the number of a man. It is the number of a man. Is the number 666. You're like, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, it's about time we got to this in church. I've always wondered about this. People love to speculate about 666. People from Michigan think that it's Woody Hayes. If you're old, you got to have like three older people like, I remember Woody Hayes. Yeah. But it's a beast from the sea. Let me tell you seven things about it. Number one, the beast is the Antichrist. Now, as the dragon stands on the seashore, 1217, the beast emerges from the sea 
And the idea here is probably from the abyss that's been referred to a number of times in Scripture. You'll see it there in chapter 11, verse 7, chapter 17, and verse 8. The bottom, it's called the bottomless pit or the abyss. So, so the dragon stands on the seashore and the beast emerges from the sea. And the beast is the Antichrist. See, 1 John 2, 18 and 22. 1 John 4, 3. 2 John 7, he's called Antichrist. Antichrist will be a person that comes to prominence during this period of time. And what period of time are we talking about right now? We're talking about chapter 6 through 18 is a description of a period of time in the future, seven years in length, that we call the tribulation. It's the description of the tribulation. Now, now some people say, no, no, it's a description of history. Well, it, it certainly probably is that. It probably does have within it uh, some people say they have an idealist view of Revelation. Their view of Revelation is this is just descriptive of things that happen all throughout the church age. I would kind of say, well, it, it certainly is that. Some have a historicist view. They say, no, no, this is all stuff that happened before the fall of Jerusalem. And I would say the fall of Jerusalem was a major initial sign. But it, my belief is, and, and I think maybe most Christians do believe, that revelation is that much more of it is future than just the very end. And this is future. This is primarily future, even though it has roots in the, in the past. So in other words, this is going to happen later. It's going to happen in this seven-year uh, period of time. The Antichrist will be a person that comes to prominence during this time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 12, he's called the man of lawlessness. And we can learn a little bit more about him. If you compare this passage with Daniel chapter 7, and it's clear that you should, the passages later in Revelation, you also see that it represents a future individual, but also a world power uh, that wages war against the Lamb and against the people of God. Those that are familiar with the Old Testament book of Daniel, like the first century people that, that, that received this initial vision or this initial letter that was from a vision from John, the original readers would immediately have seen the connection between this description and the four beasts in the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, which would really be hard to forget because you have these beasts, and they're listed here. That's in, in verse 2. This would immediately have called their attention to the prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. So in Daniel chapter 2, you have a prophecy with an image, and the image is, remember it has a gold head? Remember reading this? And, and it, what it does is it, it primarily gives a, a list of what's going to happen in terms of the rise of world powers. So it's kind of fascinating to read about an image in Daniel chapter 2 that tells about the Babylonian kind of world dominance and then the Medo-Persian and then the Grecian and then the Roman, and this is what happens in history. In other words, the Bible tells history ahead of time. We call it prophecy. And Daniel chapter 2 does that by this image. But in Daniel chapter 7, it does it with these beasts, and these are the beasts that are referred to here. So the people reading this would go, oh, I see, this is, this is connected somehow with these world-dominating powers. In the end, there will be an expression of these same world-dominating powers that are blasphemous, that hate God, that will be against God and against the things of God. These beasts are symbolic of kingdoms. Earlier in Daniel chapter 2, you see those world empires symbolized by that great statue. And the book of Daniel predicted these empires would rise before, and that's history ahead of time. So the beast represents the cruelty and the cunning. This beast represents the cruelty and the cunning of all those beasts before it which included, according to the scriptures there, Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome and their successors. The ten horns and the seven heads mirror those of the dragon. In other words, this beast looks kind of like the dragon. 
that you saw in chapter 12. There's a similarity there, and we're going to see later on, because this beast is probably possessed by Satan. You've heard about being demon-possessed, so imagine being Satan-possessed. So he's empowered by Satan. John Wolford wrote an interesting book on Revelation. In it, he says, the heads represent successive world rulers, and the horns with crowns represent kings who reign simultaneously during the final phase of the revived Roman Empire. So, so I don't want to confuse you here, but in that Daniel chapter 2 prophecy, it's interesting because you have this kind of image as the golden head, but when it gets down to the toes, it has the legs that represent the Roman Empire, but then it has these 10 toes that are, are implied, a future version of the Roman, Roman Empire. So in the end time, it's like there is, and there's a lot of speculation, a lot of study about this, there's a kind of a revived Roman Empire, or are world-dominating powers that kind of have their history or roots in, in, the, in the Roman system. Some people suggest, it's probably not too far-fetched, that it was the Roman political system that began to elect its own rulers, and the, the, and, and the Western powers that elect their own rulers that have that similar Roman law and Roman systems, they may be what's referred to here. But, but, but remember this, the main thing is the plain thing, the plain thing is the main thing. What is, what is being said? There is this, this beast, the Antichrist, that's going to come out of this political system. That's the first thing. The second thing is the beast is a powerful, evil, composite representative of all the godless, evil empires before it. There's verse 2, the beast I saw was like a leopard, feet like bears, mouth like a lion's mouth. And if you think that through, it's almost as if when Daniel describes it, you have a reverse of the order. And then when John describes it, he reverses the order almost because Daniel is looking forward into the future and John is looking backward into the past. And it follows that precise order. And to it, the dragon gave his power. Who's the dragon? Satan. Satan has empowered and his throne and authority. So Satan empowers the beast. So this person during the tribulation, is going to be representative of this system, the godless pagan system, and empowered by the devil. The apostle John's looking back. Think about this just for a minute before we go on. It's astounding that the rise and fall of world empires was predicted hundreds of years before it happened in the Bible. Did you know that? The rise and fall of world empires that didn't exist yet was predicted hundreds of years before they existed in the Bible. This shouldn't strengthen your faith. This should help you to realize God's word is true and God is in control of world empires and God is in control of world rulers. And he can do that. You can trust him with whatever you've got going on in your life. If God can take care of empires that come to power, if God can raise up leaders and dictators and put them down, he can take care of whatever you're thinking about right now. What, what are you thinking about right now? I have a friend, a really godly man, uh, Dr. Bill Thrasher. Dr. Thrasher told me one day, he said, Ken, I had a problem. I was going to church, and I was having trouble concentrating. He said, I, I love the Lord, but I was going to church, and I felt like it, it wasn't very meaningful to me. My mind was wandering, and I wasn't getting a lot out of it. He said, but I did something that changed all of that. Would you like to know what it is? I said, well, yes. He said, I started to take my needs to church with me. He said, through the week, I would think of my three greatest needs. 
or my three greatest problems or my three greatest questions, and I would take them to church with me. He said, you know what I found out? The songs would be about my needs. The messages would be about my needs. The Sunday school class would be about my needs. A conversation with somebody would help me with God really, God is able to raise up nations and raise up leaders, and God is able to meet your personal needs too. Can you just think about this? If You may not understand all of this, and it would have surprised me if it took some time, you know, kind of a bit of head scratching to get this all figured out. Here's one thing that's really plain. God is in control of nations rising and falling, of leaders rising and falling. He not only knows but controls that. And he, he, he's in sovereign control. And so it should encourage us to realize that we can take our needs to him. Look at the third, third thing about the beast. The beast is, is going to be wounded. Verse 3 says this, or killed. And he's going to come back to life or, or survive. What we're going to see is that the beast is a real person who's resurrected or appeared to die and come back to life, but also a representative person represents an empire. Look at verse 3. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. This isn't the only place in the Bible that talks about this. The Bible talks about this five different times. This false uh, Christ, this antichrist, is going to appear, die or appear to die and come to life or appear to come to life in a kind of a fake resurrection. You know this is true if you study the Bible and if you pay attention to the things of God, that Satan has a counterfeit for every beautiful thing that God has. Every time he can, he will counterfeit what's real. And through this passage, you see that counterfeit God is Satan, and the counterfeit Christ is the Antichrist. And a little bit later, we'll see the counterfeit Holy Spirit is the false prophet, but now I'm getting ahead of myself. The beast is wounded and killed, but he survives. And this is mentioned three times in John, five times in Scripture. Like the lamb is slain and resurrected, the beast is wounded and lives. And, and, and if you studied further, we won't do it today, but if you go to chapter 17 of Revelation, you see some of this decoded in a couple of different ways. In other words, you've got clear labels are coming up. In Revelation 17, two really clear labels are coming up, which always kind of helps because, you know, you want to get the 30,000-foot flyover of, of a passage of Scripture and say, okay, I get the big idea, but what about this? What about this? This I know. What don't I? What do I need to know? And the what I need to know, you're watching for the Bible to decode itself. And where it does that, then you've, that's kind of money. Oh, okay, I see that. That's, the Bible has explained itself. Going to do that in Revelation 17. But this death by his sword most likely refers to a person resurrected or a fake resurrection by Satan drawing from the abyss one who's uh, had the appear, appearance to be dead and deceive. So Bible scholars argue about whether it's actually God allowing this person to come back to life or whether it's a fake because the, the Bible isn't really plain about that. This causes great wonder and it deceives the people who are following, following this dictator. And so the Antichrist, when he rises, is going to be uh, attractive, charismatic, interesting, solving major world problems. And, and I think if you've lived long enough and paid attention, you see people are fickle, we're gullible, we're, we're, we're easy sometimes to persuade. You're going to see the whole world is persuaded initially by this, this Antichrist. So the, the beast in Revelation 13, 1 through 10 that we're talking about right now, is both an empire and an emperor, both a kingdom and a king. And the second beast 
is an individual, clearly, when we're going to read about in verses 11 through 18, and it's clearly an individual, this would indicate to me that the first one, the first beast in verses 1 through 10 is also an individual, or it wouldn't make sense. So it is an individual, but it represents a kingdom. Am I making sense? And the, the, the Antichrist is. So the beast is killed and survives. And some say this is true. And if you read in Revelation 17, it appears to be that, the, that the, the, the empire also appears to die and then has a revived, is revived. So the person appears to die and is revived. The empire appears to die and is revived. This is something to watch for. Now, the fourth thing about the Antichrist is the whole world will worship this beast. They, verse 4, they worship the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? So, so the whole world gets sucked in to worship of indirectly Satan by worshiping the Antichrist. Ver, uh, the fifth thing, the beast will be empower, a powerful orator. Verses 5 and 6 indicate that. The beast is given a mouth uttering haughty, blasphemous words, allowed to exercise authority 42 months. There is that three and a half years, second half of the tribulation, or, or often referred to as the great tribulation, or, or the time of, of Jacob's trouble. Verse 6, it opened its mouth, this Antichrist, to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name as dwelling, and that is those who dwell in heaven. The, in Revelation, you frequently have this, the heaven dwellers and the earth dwellers. It's a, it's a technical designation. There are people who are heavenly-minded, who, who are not simply bound to earth and the earth's values. But frequently in Revelation, it says, those who dwell upon the earth. I think it's twice in this passage. It says, dwellers upon the earth. It's a reference to, think about this. You don't want to be the kind of person that puts all of your eggs in the earth basket alone. That's a crude way of saying it. You don't want to be the kind of person that all of your values are about temporal things. This is a description of people who hate God. This is a description of people who are vulnerable to Satan. You don't want to have all your hope in this world. We that are Christians do have a hope in this world, but it's when heaven and earth come back together, kind of the new heaven and the new earth and the new world. But the beast will be a powerful orator, verses 5 and 6. And people will flock to hear him speak, and he will speak blasphemy against God. Watch for this to happen in your world. This is, there, this is happening in the world you live in today. There are people who say, yes, that's what the Bible says, but I don't agree. That's who he claims to be, but I don't agree. This is blasphemy. This is uh, what will happen here. And, and six, he'll make war against God's people. Look at verses seven and eight. And it was allowed, and again, this is repeated this, uh, in verse, uh, verse seven, is allowed. Verse eight, he exercised authority of the first beast. Verse 14, he was allowed. Verse 15, it was allowed. And this is a reference to the false prophet. But the point being that throughout the passage, it's a reference to God's overarching sovereignty. God sometimes allows evil things to happen, and then he weaves them into his purposes. Are you with me? God sometimes allows evil things to happen, but he weaves them into his beautiful purposes. Sometimes we'll see that right away. Sometimes it'll take us a while to see that. That's the, that's the ways of God. Sometimes we call that his sovereignty, his, over, his power over everything, if you will. That's what it's referring to here. Verse 7, he's allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority is given over every tribe and people and language and nation. So it's not a little localized thing. And then all who dwell on the earth, there's those earth dwellers, right? 
they'll worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Do you know the New Testament says that seven, refers to this book of life of the Lamb who is slain seven different times? Let's talk about that just for a minute. Have you ever noticed that there are passages of Scripture that appear to teach that God has chosen those who would believe ahead of time? How many of you have noticed that? Raise your hand if you've noticed that in the Bible. Okay? How many of you feel like you completely understand all those passages? You have a full understanding of all those passages? Raise your hand. Like nobody wants to, nobody wants to say that. Because there's some mystery to that. Because the Bible teaches human responsibility, doesn't it? That, that you pray for people to be saved. That you plead with them to be saved. That you must choose, you know, to be saved. And yet, the Bible does teach this. What, does the, what do these election passages mean? What do these predestination passages mean? And we're not going to untangle that today, but this is one of them. Let me make a note. This is one of them where it says, your name written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. This is just one of them you have to deal with. Some say, well, it's just simple. The way I understand it is according to prescience. He knew ahead of time, therefore he chose those he knew ahead of time. I wouldn't hold to that view, but some hold to that view. Some say, no, 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 it's not about individuals, it's about groups. I don't think all the passages work if you're talking about groups, but some people believe that. But here's what I would suggest. Don't decide what the Bible says about that based on how you feel or what you think or your own human logic. Study the passages themselves so that you have an understanding of the full scope of Scripture. This is one of those passages. Let's just say this. Can we not all agree this is the high point of this passage today? The rest of it is pretty ugly. You've got this demonic beast that's filled with Satan doing terrible things to God's people. And then later on you have, he has a henchman that's also very powerful and very charismatic, drawing people to worship him. If you're looking for any hope in this passage, the way it's kind of broken up, this is it. But wait, there, there's a group of people and God has record of those people. And those people are his people. And those people are safe people. Those are God's people right there. And, and I would say, be God's people. Know that you are one of God's people. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. If you're reading this passage, you're going, I don't want to be on the bad guy's side. I want to be on the good guy's side. I don't want to be influenced by demons, by Satan, by anybody he raises up, by any world system that's anti-God or, or anti-Christ. I want to be on God's side. I want, to be, I want my name written in the Lamb's book of life. I want God to have a record of me. And so I would say that's very plain, isn't it? So here you have this... Um, don't, the main thing would be don't pick the wrong God. Don't follow the wrong leaders. Don't place, and, and one of the things that characterizes people who do that is this world is the big deal to them. And they're not thinking in terms of all of God's cosmos, the spiritual things and, and eternity in heaven. They're thinking about here and now and what can I, how can I build my little kingdom? Here's what John said about that in another place where he wrote in the Bible, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you have any friends that are lost that you love? Yes. Technically, you may befriend them, 
but you can't have fellowship with them because they don't love the same thing that you love. They're not possessed by the Holy Spirit like you are. So you do sincerely love them, but you don't have fellowship with them. You don't have the closest fellowship. Does that make sense? Do you love the world? Well, of course you love the mountain ranges and you love the big bodies of water. You love the bird songs and the beauty of the snowfall. You love the people that are in the world. This is a legitimate love of the world. But the world system, the world that's driven, the world system that's driven by dark forces, the here and now only materialistic world system disregarding what God says, you've got to develop a hatred for that. You've got to develop a resistance to that. That's what John is saying when he's, an, when he's an old man and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. The things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they don't come from God. They come from the, and, and they don't last, he says, but the one who does the will of God lasts forever. Earth dwellers in the world burn with the world, continue to suffer with Satan and his angels. Believers in Christ's names in the Lamb's book of life Live with God forever in a new heaven and in a new earth. Whose side are you on? This is the plain thing, isn't it? John 5, verse 43. Jesus is quoting as saying, I have come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. But another will come in his own name, and you will, you will receive him. I don't do that. Okay, listen to 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul writes about this. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the Antichrist, the same person from chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. He'll be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless ones according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. They will believe a lie and they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Can you see the stark contrast here? You have the earth dweller who's going to be sucked into following people who are animated by Satan and demons. The system of the world. And then you have the one with his name written in the Lamb's book of life, the child of God who's filled with the Holy Spirit, who loves the things of God. Like right here and right now, what the most important thing would be to say, God, I want to follow you. I love you. I trust you. I believe in you. Forgive my sins. Make me your child. And then there is that, uh, that perseverance, that safety. Seventh thing about the Antichrist is God's people must be prepared to suffer and die so these are the seven things. Let me just review them real quickly uh, for you in, in verses 1 through 10. The beast is the Antichrist. The beast is a powerful, evil, composite representative of godless, evil empire, sin of Satan. The beast is wounded and killed, but he survives. There's some, in other words, there's going to be some supernatural activity that causes people to believe. Um, and then the, the whole world will worship the beast, verse 4, and the beast will be a powerful order, verses 5 and 6, and the beast will make war with God's people, verses 7 and 8, and some of God's people on earth at that time will suffer, and some of them will die, and they're not to create an armed resistance. This is, what, this is the idea. Look what it says. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. Some people believe the church is raptured before the tribulation. Have you heard this? And some people believe the church goes through the tribulation. Good people on both sides of that. 
Um, you, you know, uh, it, those who believe the church is raptured before the tribulation will sometimes refer to this. Let everyone who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What, what do you want to say after that? Whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear. You almost want to hear, you almost hear this phrase, what the Spirit says to the churches. Because that's what it says in chapter 2 and 3 over and over again. Here it doesn't say that. There's an argument from silence. The church is absent. It's not referred to at, by that name all through the tribulation. Some of you said, some, one of the best ways to deal with the tribulation is like, don't be here. Get raptured first. If the rapture is after the tribulation, let's have an agreement that we're going to be faithful to God during that time. This is what it says right here. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he'll be slain. I think what it's saying is some of you need to be prepared to suffer and you need to be prepared to die. Let me ask you a question. Would that be consistent with what the rest of the New Testament teaches? And the answer is yes, it would. The whole New Testament teaches if you're going to follow Jesus, be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to die. Folks, we've got to prepare our children and our grandchildren not to live for Christ. We've got to prepare them to die for Christ. We've got to prepare them to suffer for Christ. We don't want to tell our children and our grandchildren, hey, follow the Lord, you'll be healthier or wealthier or wiser than other people that are around you. That's not the primary message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is it's true and it's worth dying for. And some of you will die. And some of you will suffer. In one sense, all of us will suffer. And then it says, here's the call. The call is for endurance and faith of the saints. And then you have the second beast, which we're going to talk about, <laughs> we're going to talk about next week. But if you look at verse 10, you have a call. Here is a call to the endurance and faith of the saints. Then you have the introduction of another beast, and this we'll see next week is identified elsewhere in Scripture and elsewhere in Revelation very clearly as the false prophet. So some have said you have the satanic trinity, Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet that are mimicking God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He has an, you know, a counterfeit you know, for everything. I was in Kentucky, and I was going through a deep personal trial, and probably one of the most painful personal trials I've ever been through. And I hiked out on the mountain one day to pray, to ask the Lord, please tell me what's going to happen in my future. My future was really uncertain. I didn't have any income. I didn't have any insurance. I didn't have any confidence I'd ever get to be a pastor again, which is what I've done all of my life. And I was driving this old Jeep that had 260,000 miles on it, which is the only car that I personally owned. And I wondered what God was going to do. So I went hiking out on the mountain and I prayed, God, show me, how should I pray? Should I pray, send me to a church or should I pray, help me to be an itinerant preacher or are you going to kill me? Are you done with me, Lord? I mean, you have every right to be done with me if you want to be done with me. And I've had a good run. I got to be a pastor almost 40 years at that time. He didn't owe me anything. He could, he could say, this is the end of your life. People younger than me have gotten cancer and died, faithful Christians. So I remember being on the mountain that day and praying, God, how should I even pray? Should I pray, give me a church? Should I pray, make me successful? Should I pray, help me be an itinerant preacher? What do I do? I really feel like God 
spoke to my heart, and he said, just tell me that you'll be willing to do whatever I tell you to do, that you'll be willing to go wherever I tell you to go, even if it means that you suffer or even if it means that you die. And I remember thinking, okay, that helps me, but you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to strengthen me. I want to tell you right now, God only knows what's going to happen in your future. But what he said in his word is it's going to involve some suffering for righteousness' sake. And your prayer should be, strengthen me to be faithful even if I suffer. Strengthen me to be faithful even if I die. Strengthen me to see beyond this life into the next life where God has promised that he will reward us with, with peace throughout eternity and the presence of the Lord. Here you have uh, in this scripture, the beast from the earth, in verses 11 uh, through 18, you're going to see the beast from the earth is the false prophet, that he'll have authority to pressure God's people economically, force them, you know, the market. We're going to study that thing. What is this mark of the beast? And what is this 666? He'll be a satanic, demonically empowered, inspired, but he'll be a man. And this number of 666, what does that mean? We'll talk about that. My wife has a little weakness in this. She tends to be a little, she has a little bit of um, uh, superstition with the number 666. How many of you are a little superstitious about the number 666? Raise your hand and I will pick on you. Okay, yeah. You have that, you're like, you go to McDonald's, Lois and I drove to McDonald's one day. It was the day we were coming to this church. And we ordered our food and it was $6.66. She's like, uh-oh. Like, add something. I like the way she thinks. Add, not take away, right? Um, when we got done, we went back to McDonald's. Guess how much it was? Six sixty-six. She says, does this mean that we're not supposed to go there? And I'm saying, it means Satan is trying to oppose us. You get it? You can noodle around with those numbers and do whatever you want to do with them. That's kind of superstition. I want to teach you next week why the Bible teaches not superstition. Now, when Lois goes to McDonald's and she, her, her order is 666 and she adds a pie and brings it home, I just brew coffee and I, dr I drink the coffee and eat the pie and I'm all happy. And I want to you to be happy too. And I will explain that to you next week. And I promise not to pick on Lois next week. But, but, but for those of you that are given to speculation or sensationalism, or superstition about 666. Remember this, the main thing is the plain thing. The plain thing is the main thing. And there's something that's very plain about that 666 mark of the beast thing, but we're going to talk about it next week. Let me share some really practical things I'd like you to think about. Can I suggest that you do this this week, that you pray to God? And that, that you pray whatever the Lord leads you to pray. But can I make a suggestion that you pray three things? God, give me understanding. Give me understanding. You're going to see in verse 18 at the end of the passage we're going to discuss next week. It says, this is a call for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Understand what I'm talking about here. And can I suggest to you that the two calls in this passage, the one in verse 10 is repeated in 1412. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Isn't that interesting? That they would keep the commands of God and have faith in Jesus. There's a call for you to endure two times on both ends of this. And there's a call for you to understand. Can I suggest this? Your endurance will often depend on your understanding. If you have a specialized knowledge about the Bible, if you study your Bible, if you understand your Bible, what the scriptures are saying, you will be strengthened to endure what God has you go through. So ask him to give you understanding and ask him to give you a hatred for evil. This is a hideous evil that's described here 
And it's going to be a problem all the way until God takes care of it in the future. And so be prepared for evil. You're going to face evil. This is the promise of God that's going to happen. And then ask him to give you endurance and courage. Ask him to give you faithfulness. My son Wesley married a girl named Dylan. Dylan is a Christian, and Wes is a Christian. And when they got married, I remember that they said they have a deal. They said, we're going to have Bibles on our night tables. And we're going we're gonna to build our family around the Bible. And we're going to have Bibles on our night tables. And every day we're going to read God's Word. And so last, and I, and I noticed that I, that I had made a note of that in my journal years ago when they got married. So last night I texted him and I said, can I ask you a question? No, actually I texted him and said, you wouldn't want to be related to me. I said, take a picture of your night table right now. So they didn't know what I was talking about. They took a picture of the night table and it was just like um, a drink on the night table. And then I sent him that story. I said, remember you said you were going to have your Bible on your night table. Dylan wrote back and she said, you know, we have a two-year-old who eats the Bible pages. <laughs> so my Bible is in, is in, a, in a drawer directly beneath my night table. I'm like, okay, that, that still counts. As your pastor, can I just say, please, <laughs> don't let your children ruin your Bibles. And that's not what you want to do. But build your family on the promises of God. I've seen people do this, and I've seen people not do this. Know what the Bible teaches. Ask God to empower you to obey what the Bible says. There's a great evil at work in the world that wants to destroy you. But God and his son, our Savior Jesus, and his precious Holy Spirit want to bring their strength into your life, their endurance into your life. So don't just put the Bible on your night table. But understand what God's Word says. Ask God to empower you to obey what God's Word says. Build your life on the promises of God's Word. And I, I have a feeling from talking to you that most of you that are listening to me, that's just what you want. That's why you're here. So I want to pray a blessing on you today. Because that's what would happen. That God would just deepen that for you. So would you stand, please? We're going to have uh, folks come forward, couples come forward and they're here to pray with you about maybe a burden that you have or somebody that you care about that, or maybe you just need this exp explanation about how to be saved. I'd like to ask them to come right now. And that way you'll know they're here and they're waiting for you to talk with you. And you come up here and talk with them about anything. You just tell them, I need you to pray with me. Um, but I want to pray for you right now. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for even the parts of the Bible that are scary. Thank you for showing us the hideous evil around us that would destroy us, that would damn us, that would suck us into hell, that would destroy our families and hurt our kids and warning us about this. But thank you that you're greater and you live within us and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we don't have to yield to that. So now I ask for your blessing and help on these who have gathered here in your name today. We've sung your praises and listened to beautiful music that exalts your name. And we've studied your word and quieted our hearts to sit for a while beneath it. And now I pray as we go that you would fill us with a holy resolve to walk with you, to understand your word, to endure whatever it is that you call us to endure. Even if it means that we die, help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.